Minasan Yokoso, I'm Weabro Derek. I am Weabro Sean. And this is season two of the Weabro's Anime Podcast. Sean, we're getting an English dub for Made in Abyss now. Oh, really? I don't know if I'm too excited about that, really. Well, Sentai Filmworks has announced the full cast. They did it last week. They released a trailer. I've got a clip from the English dub cast announcement trailer of the Sentai Filmworks YouTube channel. I will post it in the blog podcast post as well. It's a scene with a conversation between Rico and Regu. I would like to play that now, and then I think we'll go over some thoughts on what you think of the dubbed after all. Made in Abyss is a series we both enjoyed very much, and dubbing it, even though it might make us cringe, will make it more marketable to Western audiences, which is probably a good thing. So let's give it a listen. Rico, I was just thinking about the delusion you seem to have about your mother's letter. Oh my god. About it being our final lesson? It's not a delusion, okay? I was thinking, uh, you just might not be mistaken in that. Uh, Jiro told me that it's necessary for him to patrol every night. And let's just say, he was able to see through us. Perhaps he uncovered our nightly plot and was able to figure out I'm a robot. He then made it a point to place that letter in my pocket. We must escape and prove we're up to the task. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> What's the matter, Reg? You see that? Something flashed over there. Huh? It's somewhere up there, right around those three boulders. What? You think it's a search party? It's a cave raider. There's only one of them, but they're heading directly for us. What? We even made sure to stay off the usual path. If they're taking the trouble to head down this way off the main route, there's no <laughs> doubt they're targeting us. Let's get moving. So, is it a yay or nay on the voices then for the English dub of Maiden Abyss? I'd say it's pretty much par for the course. It's kind of a trend among dubs. They're they're just not very good, but. Whatever, some people are into it. I think it's okay. Regu sounded a little off to me. I don't think Rico was that bad, though. I don't know what it is, and I think we can just chalk this up. Maybe it's personal preference on our part, or maybe it's what you hear first you're more inclined to naturally like, but something just feels off. I watch them subtitled first, and then they come out with the English dub. It just feels kind of weird, doesn't it? Yeah, it, in the original language. It just feels right. You're listening to it, subtitled. It's just how it's meant to be. But nonetheless, it will make it more marketable, and I think that that's always a good thing. And fun fact for those of you who care, Rico is actually Audrey from Honey Pop. It's the same voice actor. Brittany, I think Lauda is her name. She's also the voice of Ichigo in the Darling in the Franks dub. What? Mm-hmm. I thought I recognized her. Wow. Uh. On a more general note, they are condensing that whole first season of Made in Abyss into two movies that'll air next winter, so this upcoming winter season. Two movies? Well, condensing that first season into it prior to the release of the next season, which we don't have an official release date for, but I would assume that it'll probably be spring or fall of next year, or even summer, sometime later next year since they'll be releasing those compilation movies in the winter. So it's it's the TV show condensed into a movie. It's mm -hmm. not like an extra thing. Yeah, basically two recap oh. movies. Kind of like what they're doing now with uh, Attack on Titan where they've got... They're doing the movie 
Like, if you were one of the few people who made it to the theaters, was it yesterday or today, I think, they're doing the compilation movie of the second season, plus airing the first episode of the third season in its little theatrical run. But anyway, we'll move along into the week in review now, starting with Steins Gate Zero, episode 13. Let me break out the monocle for this one. Uh, Mother Goose of Diffractive Recitativo, Diffraction Mother Goose. (laughs) These are so horrible. Uh, Upon remembering that Mayuri is her mother, Kagari regresses to a very childlike state. This makes for a pretty comical opening scene, doesn't it? Yeah, it was pretty cute. Mayushi, Mayuri, whatever. She (laughs) trying to cope with being a mom to a girl that's (laughs) roughly her age is pretty funny. Yeah, she doesn't really understand anything that's going on, but she just kind of accepts her new fate anyway and Suzuha isn't having any of it. Daru's got his own usual kind of take on it and I thought the whole scene was pretty funny. It does seem though that Kagari has a little bit of awareness about what's going on around her because she gets into an argument with Suzuha at the TV shop where they work and she brings it up that Suzuha has had time to hang out with her parents in this era but Kagari hasn't and so it's weird because she's got these musical induced episodes and she has a really shoddy memory but she definitely has awareness as to what's going on around her. The weird part is that they remember their initial split very differently. Suzuha recalls 10-year-old Kagari running away. Kagari remembers Suzuha disappearing on her. So you think this is a hint at her being brainwashed? Yeah, well, that's entirely what they go on. Um, Okabe insults, or he doesn't insult, but he consults Mr. Braun, and, and Mr. Braun suggests that Kagari could have had her memories altered. Fortunately, the gang may have a lead on this because Moeka, who has temporarily teamed up with them, has discovered a secret building near where Kagari was thought to have collapsed. So Mayuri knows that oftentimes the best way to deal with crazy shit happening in your life is to throw a party. That's what <laughs> she does. Uh, the, the issue, though, is that in this world, uh, partying equates to attempted kidnapping and murders. Uh, but still, she's undeterred, and Okabe actually thinks it's a good idea. And there is kind of a funny scene that comes with this. Do you remember? I think she's at the shrine where she's telling this 10-year-old mindsetted Kagari to what come over late or something like that, and this 10-year-old childlike Kagari is still able to outwit Mayuri and figure out that she's planning a secret party for her. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Dim-witted as Mayuri can be about things, her emotional intelligence is impressive. It seems like she can always tell when something is off about someone around her. She's very keen to that sort of stuff, and I think it makes her a great character. She can be funny, but she is dialed in when it comes to understanding the emotions and thoughts of those around her. I like her a lot, too. Of course, this party, though, is the evening of the same day that Okabe and Moeka go to investigate this secret building of stuff. You can definitely tell that she's still an agent for CERN in this world, Moeka, that is. It makes for a pretty fun scene as she's driving around like a maniac and Okabe's like, slow down, what are you doing? They do find the building, though, and she deduces that this facility isn't actually as old and abandoned as it may appear. They find a secret room. And with uh, the word mother scrawled all over the floor, ceiling, walls, and like red. And it, it appears that uh, Kagiri, or is that, fuck, 
Is that her name? Kaguri? Kagari. Kagari. Sorry, you might have to edit that out. Um, I won't. So it appears. Oh, come on. <laughs> so Kagari appears to have been uh, kept in this room or trapped in there. That's kind of what we're led to believe. Towards the end, Kagari also has another music episode uh, induced memory, right? Or a memory episode induced by a classical Mozart tune because there's this van that just drives around playing Mozart around town and it triggers her. And the memory scene basically confirms this whole brainwashing thing. At least that's what I interpreted from it. Under the guise of treatment for PTSD or some sketch thing, she's being tested as a sample subject for the Amadeus system. She is K6205, which is the thing that they mentioned in the beginning when they first tried to hold up the uh, first party that that they had earlier on in the season and Kagari triggered by this uh, musical episode drops everything to wander off somewhere Suzuha gets the feeling that something really is wrong because she doesn't show up to the party like she's supposed to so she heads out to find her and that's when we get this really cool credit sequence of Suzuha running through town frantically and Moeka and Okabe solving mysteries and finding that secret room in that now defunct facility where mother or whatever is scratched on all the walls. Oh, snap. I think they're actually going somewhere with this series now. Yeah, it's finally getting kind of interesting. They're not just spinning their wheels. Or... It's only halfway over. So <laughs> I think uh. this was a pretty good episode overall, though. We get a little bit of humor, but also some serious story development. This is the kind of balance that we're going to need. This is the kind of balance that the original had. I mean, until shit really hit the fan in that. But you get the comedic moments, but also the serious story progression. And if they can follow this, I think they can redeem the series. I agree. My interest has been reignited. Now, Irina of Drunken Anime Blog, and I want to say it was Arthifice. Um, I forget his blogs. They might just be Arthifice's place. Don't quote me on that. I actually had a four-part discussion last week talking about time travel in the Steinsgate universe and what the most likely paths the series will take are based on how time travel works. And it got super complicated, but uh, I figure at this point it's best, <laughs> at least for uh, viewers like us, to just go along for the ride because I don't think that we stand any chance of realistically speculating. <laughs> if anyone's listening to this and they have not seen Sciencegate, they're just for some reason listening to us ramble about it, it would not make any sense whatsoever. Though, to be fair, jumping into the middle of Steinsgate, you know, without having seen it, would probably not make any sense either. At least Steinsgate Zero. And it's not supposed to. It's a spinoff. You have to be familiar. Yeah. Otherwise, why are you watching it in the first place? Precisely. <laughs> we'll shift into a different space and time now with Darling in the Franks, the final episode. I forget the title of it. It's probably not important. Do you remember? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Zero Two and Hero set off on their space honeymoon, leaving the rest of the gang to cope in a heroless way world. He becomes more Klaxosaur as he's, quote, going deeper inside Zero Two in space. Uh, the last episode jumps forward in time a few times, like they hit that skip button uh, at least three times throughout. Starting a few months since the two originally left, Kokoro is getting a baby belly on her. The farming is finally starting to come around. 72 days after Strazilia departure, it's a whole new world, isn't it? Yes, yeah, this episode, it was pretty neat to see that, I guess. Uh, and then we jump uh, 245 days into the future, and Kokoro has the kid. They figure out how to unfreeze all the other parasites from back in the day that uh, were stored in that weird room 
Naomi comes back. We haven't seen her since episode one, you may recall. She was Hero's original partner at the very start of the episode. And I think it's implied, at least from what I was seeing, that she seemingly ends up with Ikuno, which is cool. She finally gets a gal. And Goro decides to become an adventurer. He seeks out new lands, possibly other plantations that might still have kids living in them. Uh, Goro, I don't know if you noticed, but did his voice actor change? I think he just got older. Like, yeah. They say that they have slowed aging, I think, too. It's kind of written off as a sciency thing, too, that Ikuno was looking into. But I was like, why aren't these kids growing up as fast as I think they should? But Goro and Ichigo, too, I think, were two that, like, notably became much older. And then at the very end, Futoshi has got, like, a mustache and he's a baker and all that. While this is going on on Earth in space, uh, Hiro and Zero Two are becoming increasingly worn out from all the battles they've been enduring, flying to the heart of the Verm Empire. It's now that they face what is presumably the entire Verm fleet trying to stop them. And at this time, of course, Hero blacks out. Which is odd because he had been awake the entire... He had been awake for like two years, was it? Before he passed out? They had just been kind of floating, yeah, hanging out. But remember, Verm is a collective conscience of sorts. And they have the power to mess with people's minds. And from what it looked like, outright absorb them from that one scene on Earth. It's them who knock Hero unconscious. Meanwhile, Zero Two is bearing the full force of the Verm fleet. Fortunately, though, uh, Kokoro and Mitsuru's little toddler is playing in the field next to the fossilized Zero Two and somehow picks up on her call for aid. And they all join hands and give them a pep talk through space and time through the channel of this fossilized Zero Two that's just been left from when she initially became the big bioweapon. And it works. Well, mostly, they do manage to plant and activate the bomb in the Verm homeworld. They also start to fade away in doing so, and Zero Two is all like, as long as we still have souls, we'll meet again one day. And then they blow up the planet, and all the souls are free to return back to wherever they came from. What's left of Verm is like, we won't die, we'll face off again, yada, yada, yada. We get the completion of the bird motif, and then... It's eight years later, and humanity is popping. We've got the baby boom. Even Ichigo is pregnant. Yeah, everyone's pregnant. (laughs) And Futoshi is going on his fourth kid with whoever he's with. And so, yeah, it's a baby boom. It's a scientific renaissance. And then we get the credit sequence. And many, many years pass during that. And Hiro and Zero Two's souls finally make it back to Earth. And it seems they're reincarnated as different kids and they meet under the same tree that a little sapling was left behind by from the original fossilized Zero Two. It's the same kind of tree too, I believe, that they met when the originals were kids. And I'm not surprised if you didn't notice, but if you look at Zero Two's knee, it's all skinned up just like last time. I did not notice the knee thing, but I was like, oh, well... Here we go again. She has, yeah, she's got a Band-Aid on it this time, but it's like the prophecy yeah. is getting fulfilled once more. And then we're at the end. And honestly, I think it may be for the best with this one, don't you? Oh, yeah. This, you know, it started off really strong. Probably around episode 14, it started kind of falling off and just getting crazy. And I heard it's because this is a collaboration between two anime mm-hmm. studios. Trigger and A1, yeah. <laughs> and I guess they butted heads pretty badly. Neither. Tell. <laughs> eh, it's just not that good. 
You know, I like what they were trying to do here. The idea of blending a dystopian teen drama with an alien sci-fi thriller isn't inherently a bad one. It, they had a lot to play with. There was potential, but instead of both the action and dramatic elements complementing one another, and this goes off with them, again, maybe butting heads with who's in charge of what on any given week, which also might be why they had to delay it twice, they end up flip-flopping between the two in a way that makes those ideas actually feel like they're competing against each other, like a tug-of-war almost between two studios with very different visions. One week we're a drama, the next we're an action thriller, then we're in space. Yeah, so it's like that screen cap you took last week. I guess we're in space now, huh? More or less. Uh, and the, the narrative wasn't horrendous uh, it wasn't good though i do think and this is contrary to how you feel about it we talked about this i think last week too i think it became marginally better in the second half but they still couldn't quite pull it together in a way that felt natural or made sense there were some directorial things that i didn't like with them adding the black bar letterbox features and things but Really, the saving graces for this series, if there are any, are the music and animation, which remained pretty consistently good throughout. I agree. That, that is one of the strong points. If it weren't for the cool battle scenes and the decent music and sound, this series probably wouldn't have a whole lot going for it. Now, given those upticks from animation and sound, though, I still think this one, for me, will probably come out just because of the way I weight things in my rating scale. I give animation and sound equal weight that I do the story and such. This will still probably be about a 6 or a 6.5, but overall, not one I'd be likely to recommend unless it's to somebody who is really looking to fill a need for a mech series and has already seen or isn't interested in Gundam build drivers or anything else that's currently going on. I'm going to give it a 5. I don't think the animation and mute in the sound and everything redeems it enough for me to even come close to recommending it to anybody. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and that's the crazy part, though, is you were the one that initially suggested that we watch this. I think it was, because I didn't even know that this was a show. I didn't realize that there was even a lot of hype for it or anything. Apparently, this is one a lot of people were looking forward to at the start of the winter season when it started. I had no idea it was even going on. And you texted me and you were like, dude, you got to watch this Darling and the Franks. And I was like, okay, what on earth is this? <laughs> but I think I had seen four episodes before I got a hold of you. And I was stoked. I was like, man, this show is really cool because there was a lot of mystery. And that once they started explaining that mystery, that's when it started falling off. But yeah, there was a ton of hype right at the beginning. I remember just thinking, oh, so Sean's into anime butts now. He's come a long way. But it did elaborate upon that. It's just those first episodes, they hit me really hard. And they hit everybody really hard with that kind of fan y stuff. And I actually liked that they did kind of get away from it towards the end. But even still, once they got into actually explaining things and trying to develop that narrative, like you're saying, they were all over the place. And it just did not work. Yep. Can't so, recommend this one. So overall, probably about a six, six and a half at best from Derek. And we'll say Sean gives it a five. That is the lowest that you have rated anything yet since we've started doing the podcast. I'm sure there's more coming up. Uh, we'll now be adding the third seasons of Attack on Titan and Overlord to our week in review. Overlord 3 started yesterday. Sean's already seen it. I have not. And just to keep things in order, though, we will wait until this upcoming Monday's show to give our initial impressions on that. Attack on Titan, like I mentioned earlier, having its theatrical release today. But I don't think the series itself is going to continue 
for like another week or two because they're doing this theatrical run in different places, actually worldwide and such. And so I think we've got another week or two before they actually start to continue that one after we get the initial first episode this week. So we got a couple more weeks yet to go, you think? I believe so. Um, and you mentioned as well, Steins Gate uh, also on hiatus for this week, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I, th- I actually think it was a planned break yep. at episode 14, I believe. They go in 23 episodes or 26 for this? No, it's 23. I just looked. 23. Yeah, so about midway through, and that's not uncommon for them to take a break and just recollect. And so that actually works to our benefit because it'll give us... Um, time to chill and now this podcast stuff doesn't seem too weirdly staggered with this coming out the same day that you know another episode would be Uh, i will take a moment now though to go over some initial impressions of some of the summer shows i've started in addition to what we've been watching all right i've been following cells at work chio's school road josh and john dropkick and hanabato I'm going to attempt to watch these four in addition to the other three for the week in review. We'll see how it goes. It means I'm putting Angel of Death, Happy Sugar Life, and Grand Blue all get punted to the end of the season. They're getting the boots. Hopefully I'll get to watch them shortly after they finish. That said, I haven't gotten to any of the spring ones. I said I would do that with yet, but plenty of time, right? Anyway, um, the first ones that I mentioned are all comedies. I'll start with Hataraku Saibo, which is Cells at Work. And like what I said in the summer preview last week, this one takes an approach to biology similar to Osmosis Jones, personifies all the cells in our bodies, dramatizes their daily functions and encounters with one another as a science dork. I was looking forward to this one. I thought it was great. But you don't have to worry about missing out on a whole lot if you lack any knowledge on cellular function. There's a good balance between cell-focused humor for all the sciencey dorks out there and more general comedy. And just about everything going on is explained by the various characters as it's happening. And that's a very, like, anime trope thing to do. Like, even if you think of, like, the fighting ones, like Dragon Ball Z and such, you've got different characters narrating things as they happen. In this case, they're doing it, and it works because it actually gets you up to speed as to what's going on. So you don't feel left out or uneducated. I'm going to put the show in the same category as Degashi Kashi in that it's entertaining, but also educational. Seriously, if I were an intro level, high school, college level biology instructor, I would honestly consider showing this to students. I think it's that accurate and also that entertaining. Well, that's pretty interesting. Then we've got Chiyo-chan no Tsugakuro, or Chiyo-chan's School Road. It follows a gamer girl of sorts as she tries to make it to school on time every morning. The problem is there's always some ridiculous set of obstacles in her way that she has to work around in order to get there. The comedy a little more random than Hataraku Saibo, but I think this one was off to a very good start. I like the music and sound design, and <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Just, um... It's riddled with anime and video game references for things, but again, also to appeal to a broader audience than just that specific niche almost, it's got very general humor. (laughs) There's this scene where this little kid loses his balloon and it gets stuck in a tree, and his mom approaches this tall guy walking by, and she's like, hey, you're tall, our balloon's stuck in the tree, and he's like, oh, I see that, and I am very tall. I could easily reach that. And she asks him, well, can you get it for us? And he looks at her and is just like, no. 
It's just like stupid <laughs> things like like it's really dumb, but it's pretty funny if you're into that kind of humor. Uh, and then then there's Dropkick on my devil. Uh, so Cobra Demon Girl from Hell is summoned to the human world by some chick who is dabbling in witchcraft or whatever. They become roommates because the one girl doesn't know how to send her back. The demon girl, Joshin, however, believes she can return if she kills the girl who summoned her, whose name is Yurine. Uh, it's drawn in a very cutesy style, not really chibi, very bright and colorful, but it's pretty damn brutal. Uh, this is, in essence, Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, if anyone's familiar with that, meets Deadpool. I say that because it's basically Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. It's a very cute girl, slice-of-lifey type feel, only it's super violent, and they break the fourth wall a lot for comedic purposes. I don't see this one being very popular, but I do see it possibly developing a cult following. Uh, they do even reference one cult favorite in particular, the Evil Dead. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I, I, so you're watching four? Yep, the last one oh, okay. here would be Hanabato. It's the most serious series of the lot this season that I'm watching. Subsequently, it also has the best sound and animation of them all. It primarily focuses on a girls' badminton team. Oftentimes, when you have a series with a predominantly female cast, it can be harem-centric or extra fan servicey. But in this case... Well, in the case of sports series in general, it's usually the latter of the two. It's because of fan service. Hanabato, though, doesn't really have a whole lot of that, which I like. We'll get an occasionally suggestive angle or something, but there's nothing hypersexualized about the players or the game. It's a true sports drama, not just cute girls doing sportsy things. That said, if you're into seeing cute anime girls play sports uh, and you're already watching Harukana Receive or something like that and you want another show, I don't think you can be disappointed in this one. It's got a very well-rounded cast of characters and it's looking very well produced now two episodes in. So those are the four that I'm going to try and keep up with weekly this season in addition to Attack on Titan, Overlord 3, and Steins Gate Zero, which we will be reviewing weekly from here on out and I'm so glad that it seems like now finally the Steinsgate crew over at White Fox is finally getting things together because I'll be honest coming into this I was like man I'm kind of bummed that we have to keep up with Steinsgate Zero because we started it but now now that they've got things maybe rolling here I feel a little less bummed about that yeah same here uh, it's odd um, if you go on my anime list uh, Steinsgate Zero is like rated a nine point five probably and i i don't agree with that at all i so there's so a ton of hype for this show and now it lo it's looking like it's finally going to get exciting and i hope i hope that hype that hype train keeps on rolling i want to ask you something mm -hmm. chio chio's chio's school road yes school yeah road. it's I'm on the watch list on verve already if you want to uh take a look okay. at it that one is available on verve and crunchyroll cells at work is available on verve and crunchyroll hanabato is available on verve and crunchyroll dropkick on my devil amazon prime okay i might check out that uh the school road one that one sounds pretty funny i think it does have great potential i've also got a first impressions post of it on the blog site uh oh. <laughs> if you want to read anything before if not again it is on the watch list but going back to this whole uh, my anime list thing you've got to take those ratings with such a grain of salt i like them i think they're a general guideline to go by but it annoys me to no end that people can give a rating for a series one episode in 
I do not think that that's a thing that you should be able to do or it should be weighted or categorized separately because you get people who give tens and twos after one or two episodes and it skews the entire thing. And that's why something like Steinsgate Zero can be a nine. And I'm pretty sure the last time I looked, Darling in the Franks was like an eight. And there's no way in any universe that makes sense that Darling in the Franks is that good. It was like an eight point where it's over an eight. So I will say there are certain people that th- that series will appeal to, but I just, I have a hard time believing that everybody who has completed the series, th- that the average would come out to something that high just given the narrative structure for it and how it kind of and how it's not a very good story and again i think it goes back to people being able to rate so highly and so lowly so early on without actually having completed the series i think they should keep a separate category for shows that are currently airing Mm -hmm. so they don't get ranked with the shows that are completed like you were saying darling and the franks started out a lot stronger than you four episodes in if you were to rate it right then and there you might have rated it an eight or something but now that it's over now that it's over that's a five and sometimes people just never go back or they don't bother or they drop or whatever it may be and so that rating that numerical rating stays there and it skews the whole thing and that same thing with all the people who watch one episode of a series and say oh well this sucks a lot of them take four or five episodes sometimes to get rolling if you were to review violet evergarden after two episodes versus by the end of it same thing only opposite right it skews what the final verdict should be so i think that'd be a good idea for them to adopt if they can ever get that website back together in order functioning properly it might be a good idea to to have those categorized separately or not allow reviews on a particular series. Like maybe you can give the numerical one, but you shouldn't be able to do a full on review until that series has finished. I I can see why they allow it though, because like if, if you're looking for a new show and mm-hmm. you're like, well, I'll check my anime list and see what's you know see right. what's good. And if Darling in the Franks has no rating until three months later, once the show is done, you're not even gonna you're it's not, not even gonna it, be man. on your radar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I guess the lesson to take away from it is read those numerical ratings with a grain of salt. Take them as a general guideline. Like this is the overall opinion above average, below average of a series, but do not take that as word of law because it's prone to a lot of volatile shifts based on people reviewing without having completed the series. I agree totally. Well, that will conclude the lecture for today. Thanks, everyone, for following the We Are Bros Anime podcast and blog. We have some big things in store for this second season. I hope you'll continue to join us online through any number of means, uh, the primary one being the We Are Bros blog site, but the podcast is on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Anchor FM. Tune in next week for Steinsgate Zero, Overlord 3, and much, much more. Thanks for listening, everyone.